Uh, if you have the app, you can follow along with us, uh, the outline. But our, our series is called True Satisfaction for the Hunger Inside of You. And our key verse for this series has been from the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said this. I'm going to ask you to read it out loud with me uh, off of the screen. Would you please? Blessed are those for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Now he uses... Uh, eating sorts of analogy here, hunger and thirst. And it works well that we are finishing up the Daniel fast, the three-week Daniel fast. Uh, and fasting, what we eat and what we drink is, a, is largely an acquired taste, one way or another. And I have learned that being on the Daniel fast, I've, I've acquired a taste for some things, like uh, just experimenting. Did you know if you take pomegranate seeds and slice a banana up in a bowl with it, it tastes pretty good? Try it. So I will try it again. I've acquired a taste for that. Um, if you're a Facebook friend, you might have seen me post uh, Daniel Fast dessert. I took a spoon of peanut butter and stuck a grape on it. There you go. It's like pre-peanut butter jelly. But it, it works. It's good. I, I like it. I'll do it again. So I've acquired a taste for that. But I also realized on the Daniel Fast, it's funny because when I posted that, a missionary friend of mine uh, doesn't live in the area, and he said, that's not a real fast, you know. And I said, you try it for three weeks and see if you don't have some of the same kinds of craving kinds of things. Because it's a denial exercise. Um, I've realized on the fast, among other things, just God's been confronting me on several areas of my inner life that I need to work on, but um, there are a lot of things that I have an acquired taste for like that, that weren't on the fast that I'm looking forward to having again. I'm looking forward to a cup of coffee Wednesday morning, for instance. All right? It's an acquired taste. Um, I'm probably going to eat potato chips again. All right? So I'm, I'm going back in moderation. That's my, my whole thing, is in more moderation than I was. But wherever you're at, you have an acquired taste. And if you, if you travel, different areas, different regions have a taste for different things. Different countries have a taste for different things. If you go to Africa, for instance, the rice that we pack and send, you've seen them, if you've seen our videos, they, they dance for joy. They call it super rice. Americans will, will, for the most part, not even eat it. We just don't have a, a taste acquired for that sort of a flavoring. Uh, and so I, in looking at the metaphor Jesus used, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Righteousness, if we can use this language, is an acquired taste. We don't come by it naturally. We're fallen. And I'm more prone to my flesh than I am to follow God. But as you acquire a taste for righteousness, you'll be satisfied. And as you acquire a thirst for righteousness, you'll be satisfied. And part of a fast is to, is to draw our attention to all the things that distract us. We talked about distractions of the soul and junk food of the soul the first week. And then last week, we looked at all the things that Solomon told us did not satisfy us. So I want to do a deep dive into righteousness that does satisfy and, and look a little bit at how we get there. And so if you're following along in the app, to start off, righteousness reveals the beautiful heart of God. First and foremost, righteousness is an internal thing. And what I'm going to do today, because I've got tons of scripture passages, and I, I looked up tons of verses about it, and then I laid them out all over my table, then I wrote them all over my board, and I tried to condense it down. I didn't use all that I had. And then last night, the team said it was like drinking out of a fire hose. So I'm going to try to make it drinking out of a garden hose today. Uh, so what we've done is I'll put a, couple, a verse or two on the screen, and then the rest of the verses are listed in the app as far as the reference. You can look them up later. And I'm not even necessarily going to say 
the scripture reference when I read it. I'm just going to jump through it to explain righteousness. Okay, so it seemed to flow pretty good last service, so I hope you can track with me. Uh, but the beautiful heart of God, Psalm 11, verse 7 says, For the Lord is righteous, he loves righteousness, and the upright will behold his face. There is something about the righteousness of God and, and longing for that. And as we are drawn to that, there is a knowing God that becomes possible. Psalm 33, 5 says, He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the loving kindness of the Lord. So let me give us a workable definition, a working definition of what righteousness can be understood as, first of all. Righteousness is the manifest goodness of who you would expect God to be and how that would display from Him. Okay? Righteousness is the manifest goodness of who you would expect a perfectly holy, just, powerful, loving God to be and how that would display from Him. He is righteous and He behaves accordingly. He is internally, and there's integrity. What he is in here, he expresses and he acts out. And so that's combined is the righteousness of God. And Jesus says, acquire a taste for that. Acquire a hunger and a thirst for that. Because as you taste of that, taste and see that the Lord is good, as you get in touch with that, you will experience that in yourself. Says elsewhere, righteous are you, O Lord. Your righteousness is an everlasting righteousness. All your commandments are righteousness. If you feel like, well, I don't know how to do righteousness. How do I live that? What does that mean to be that? Well, look at what he said and how he said to live. There are righteous instructions here on how do I treat people righteously? How do I treat myself? How do I look at the world with righteousness? How do I look at God? And, and when, we, when we look at the fact that this is the word that God has written, and if you say, well, how does that look lived out? Well, God became, you had the whole Old, Old Testament explaining the righteousness of God, and they couldn't get it. So what does God do? He becomes man, takes on the form of a human being, Jesus Christ, and God walks among us. If you want to see what righteousness looks like in a person and from a person, study the Gospels and read about Jesus and see how he treated people. That's righteousness personified. My, God says, my salvation will be forever. My righteousness will not wane. The Bible says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. I'm glad of that because I, I know that in the past, God is a perfectly holy, just, powerful, loving God. And that's part of his righteousness. And I count on the fact that he is still a perfectly powerful, holy, loving, just, righteous God. And he's going to stay that way. It says, your righteousness of God reaches to the heavens. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. The heavens declare his righteousness and the peoples have seen his glory. So it's at the heart of who he is. It is who God is. So with that kind of established, God's righteousness, as Jesus implies, satisfies hungry, thirsty souls. Psalm 119 verse 40 says, Behold, I long for your precepts. Revive me through your righteousness. I've got such a taste. I have a craving for your righteousness. He cultivated that craving because it doesn't come naturally to us. And then he says, revive me through your righteousness. Some of you, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. You're here and I appreciate that you're here, but you would say personally, I got to tell you, my faith is just dead. It's nowhere. God can revive that. He doesn't want you just going through the motions kind of faith. He can revive you. You can feel like life has taken the wind out of you. God can revive you. 
I want to talk about satisfaction, how he satisfies hunger and thirst. In Psalm 103, it says, he satisfies your years with good things, so your youth is renewed like the eagle. I like good things, and God brings satisfaction there, but that doesn't typically last very long. But he renews us, and he revives us. That's what his righteousness does for us. In Jeremiah, he said, I satisfy the weary ones and refresh everyone who languishes. And at this, I awoke and looked, and my sleep was pleasant to me. It is a sense of well-being that goes, ah, sweet dreams, soul deep. Righteousness. And then what's amazing, if you don't want it enough yet, righteousness and peace go together. And then all about you, if there's ever a time that we need peace, it's now. Peace up here, peace up here. Because we may not have it out here. It says in Hebrews chapter 12, now, this is a piece that we, we may not like the way it comes. But he says, all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. I can say an amen to that when I was a kid, getting disciplined. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. But he's not talking about when I was a kid and got in trouble and that uh, shot out my neighbor's window with a BB gun. Not that kind of discipline. I have found that God disciplines me throughout life. He spanks me, if you will, with life. How many of you know God disciplines you? Okay, I'm going to re-ask that question. And you didn't raise your hand because either you're just lazy, doesn't care, or you just haven't gotten to know God yet, or you just know him at a superficial level. Hint, God disciplines those he loves. So how many of you know God disciplines you through life? Okay, there you go. Spanks us, if you will. So some, that means some of the hardship I have gone through, some of the heartache, some of the frustration, some of the failure, whatever, was God smacking my backside spiritually, uh, symbolically, to get my attention. And, and I remember one time in particular, years ago, I was praying for God about a certain situation, and I was asking him to take it away, and, da, 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 and I added in Jesus' name to obligate him, you know. And I finally said, God, why aren't you doing this? And he says, because you're not listening yet. But after, after you work through the discipline and you see the fruit of it, the correction, the insight, the wisdom, the change, whatever, it is the peaceful fruit of righteousness. It is a, okay, now I see. The works of righteousness, Isaiah tells us, will be peace. And the service of righteousness is quietness and confidence forever. Put those three together. What a trifecta. Peace, quietness, and confidence. A sense of, ah, I'm good. That's what righteousness does for us. And uh, it's, it's a contagiousness. When you, when you know people who have really been walking the walk and cultivating a lifestyle and a relationship with God and of righteousness, there is that that peace and that confidence and that stability in them that kind of draws you to them. It's like things, things are okay when I'm around them. When I, when I bring this, when I talk to them, it, it, there, there is this, ah, that righteousness can bring. And in that, in that line, loving kindness and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. What an analogy there. It's just that there's this, there's this peace that comes with it. And, and that stability idea, I want to go to Isaiah chapter 61, verse 3. It says, they will be called oaks of righteousness. Oaks of righteousness. Interesting word choice. Interesting plant choice. 
and I don't know a lot about oaks and plants and trees and whatnot. I know something about oaks, uh, and I have a picture of an oak tree that I want to share with you. And uh, this picture, I, that tree in the middle of that yard there is an oak tree. I know it because I planted it, okay? Just two weeks ago, I'm like, no. <laughs> um, that house where I, my family moved there when I was about 11, and we lived there, I lived there through college years and then um, moved out. Uh, my mom sold that 18 years ago, the truckorama on the driveway is whoever's living there now. Um, not that I mind trucks, I have one myself, okay? But when I was uh, about 12, when we moved there, behind the house was all fields. Across the street was all hundreds of acres of woods. Down at the end was a nice pine forest. We had a, I had a ball just exploring and all day long, just in the woods and hiking and exploring and whatnot and messing around in the ponds and whatnot. And so I went out into the woods and dug up an oak tree and brought it and planted it right there where my dad said to plant it. And at, at the time I brought it, it was like this tall. And so I don't know how old it was by the time it got to there, how many years it takes for an oak tree to grow that big. But I can tell you from that big to that big has been 54 years. That, that is a nice tree. I may say so myself. <laughs> and it has grown, it's huge. And it, and it grew, this is an acorn. This is where it came from originally, not this one. But when I knew I was going to show that oak picture tree, I thought, oh, I'll get an acorn because there's oak trees just by door two in that area there. And so I, have, I will confess, uh, full exposure, this acorn has been assembled. The top and the bottom were separate, and I went in the maintenance department and got some glue and stuck them together because I could not find a whole acorn this time of year. The squirrels have had a heyday all winter long. So. But that's an acorn. That little seed became that huge tree in, what, probably 60 years. Righteousness, tell your neighbor, it takes time. Oak, he didn't say bamboos of righteousness. Bamboo trees grow like, what, six, eight inches a year or whatever, or more than that. No, oaks of righteousness. And so the accuser of the brethren, Satan likes to whisper in your ear, you're never going to get there. How long have you been a Christian? You call yourself a Christian and you're still da 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 No. You, whenever you feel discouraged, like you're not making progress enough, you just whisper to yourself, I am becoming an oak of righteousness and oaks take time. But boy, once you get there, talk about unshakable. Can you imagine the storms that oak tree has been through? And no matter how hard the wind blows and how, how much the, the tornado warnings and whatnot might rage and the cold winter weather and whatnot, it just stand, comes back every spring. God wants you to be that way. God wants us, as we hunger and thirst, as we develop a taste for righteousness and what that's like, He wants us to be like an acorn whose roots get planted deep and we become that, that solid, unshakable, stable oak of righteousness. So not only does righteousness uh, satisfy our soul, not only does it bring us peace, but also another huge benefit of righteousness uh, is that righteousness guides your life. And a lot of us are at a point we need guidance. What do I do? Big things, small things, every area of life, relationships, whatever. And you're looking for direction, for wisdom. Let me read for you the 23rd Psalm, probably the most familiar Psalm to all of us, the first four verses. And listen for all the directional words that are in these four verses. The Lord is my shepherd. 
I shall not want. Why? Because he satisfies. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Go over there and lay down. Direction. He leads me, another directional word, beside quiet waters. <sighs> he restores my soul. He guides me, another directional word, in paths of righteousness. Why? What? For his name's sake. And then listen to where some of the paths go. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you're with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. If you live long enough, you will go through the valley of the shadow of death. Maybe literally the loss of a loved one, loss of a relationship, loss of a career, loss of your health, loss of your finances, loss of you name it. And you can go through that valley and you can go through it with a sense of certainty that God guides me. This is part of the path of righteousness. And again, what our adversary wants to whisper instead is when the path gets really dark and scary, well, you must not be in God's will, God's path now. No, the reality is sometimes he leads us through the valley of the shadow of death for his sake. And if he leads you there, he'll be faithful to get you through. Righteousness, Psalm 85 says, will go before him and he will make his footsteps into a way. Say footsteps. You know what a footstep is, right? This is a foot. It takes a step. This is a foot. There's a step. This is a foot. There's a step. That's a footstep right there. And the Bible says that he will guide that. Now, I don't know about you. I'm enough of this footstep stuff. Give me the next mile. A footstep takes how long? A nanosecond? A half a second? Whatever. Tell me, like, not just the next second. Don't just guide my seconds. Guide, like, what am I doing this next week? What about, how's it going to work out next month? Where am I going to be at next year? Can you, can you just show me the path for the next three years? I have found more often than not, God says, I'll guide your footsteps. I wish he gave me more, and sometimes he does. But I'm sure, at least when it comes to me, one of the reasons he guides my footsteps and not like my drives is because I'm way more dependent. Okay, now where? Okay, now where? Okay, God, now where? Now where? Because if he gave me a, a okay, here's what my will is for you for the next year, Stan. I'd get so undependent. I'd get so autopilotish on my own. So if you're right now like at a crossroads, if you're like at a really rough place, you don't even know what the right thing to do, say, whatever it is, trust him. Develop a hunger and a thirst for righteousness and his righteousness will guide your next year. No, it'll guide your next step and the next step and the next step and the next step. Like a consultant friend of mine calls it, he, the, what's the next right answer? God will guide you in that. Answer me in your faithfulness, in your righteousness. In your righteousness, bring my soul out of trouble. That's in Psalms. Proverbs says the same thing. The righteous is delivered from trouble. You ever been in trouble? Say amen. And some of you are in trouble now. Some of you created your own trouble. Some of you, somebody created it for you or it just happened. Regardless of the trouble, I'm glad that it, because he's a righteous God, he's perfectly loving and just and kind and powerful and all that. So when I, when I get myself in trouble and I say, God, deliver me from trouble, he doesn't go, I didn't make that. That's not the step I told you to take. Deal with it. No, he says, okay. 
and maybe he lets me be spanked by that situation in life. Now you want to follow my steps? Yes. Okay, this way. Or if it's trouble that you didn't cause, somebody else did. God, deliver my soul from, from trouble. Sure, follow me step by step. Yeah, but what about the next? No, just, just next step, next step, next step. But he delivers me. He gives me direction, deliverance from trouble. And in the way of righteousness, there is life. And so, man, between being able to connect with God, having peace that goes beyond understanding, as, as Paul talks about it, and having direction in life, I want that. Don't you? I can have that. I, because, boy, when, when I try to get my own peace, when I try to figure it out myself, I can just stress myself out and get more anxious. When I try to go my own way, I often get myself into trouble. But man, if I can, if I can have that, I want to develop a taste and a thirst for that in my life. And so, how do we get there? Okay, Let's get to the to-do. How do we do righteousness? Well, first of all, righteousness starts with believing. So how many of us are action-oriented? How many of you are more think-it-over oriented? Okay. Well, there's some for both. All right. Righteousness starts with believing. I want to read for you a classic passage of Scripture from Romans. And if you're here today and you're not a Christian, pay close attention to these verses because they apply to you. And, and you need to do this if you want eternal life. You need to do this if you want to have righteousness, that relationship with God that can transform you. And it's really simple. It says, what does, the, what does it say? Scripture, the word is near you and in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith, which we are preaching. That if you confess with your mouth, say confess. Jesus says, Lord, and say believe. And believe in your heart that God raised from the dead. You will be saved. Boom. Period. End of requirements. That's it. Confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised from the dead. You will be saved. So when we have a prayer time at the close of this service, if you don't know Christ, there's your, there's your assignment if you want it. Lord, I, I, I admit that I'm a sinner and, and I, I confess I want you to be my Lord. I surrender my life to you. I believe you died on the cross for me. You rose from the grave for me. And so I say, yes, my life is yours. That's how it starts. But then it goes further. For with the heart, a person believes resulting in righteousness. So in our heart, righteousness starts. With the mouth, he confesses resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. He is not disappointing when you follow Jesus. When you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, it is not disappointing. But notice, in, in, with the heart, a person believes, resulting in righteousness. Righteousness starts in here. The seed of righteousness begins in my heart. And we'll see that as that grows, then we see the outward expression of that. In Romans, over and over again, chapter 1, he says, the righteous man shall live by faith. Chapter 4, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. How did Abraham start this righteous relationship? By believing. Believing is the start. Believe in your heart. Confess with your mouth. You will be saved. Righteousness starts with believing. And then in Philippians chapter 3, Paul adds something to this that's nuanced, that's really important for the next step we're going to talk about. He says, I don't have a righteousness of my own derived from my works, but that which is through faith in Christ, 
the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. See, this whole cultivated hunger and thirst for righteousness and to practice that and to live that, I can't do it. Stan Tharp cannot be righteous. I cannot get there from here. Neither could Paul, the apostle. But he says that the righteousness comes from God on the basis of faith. So when I come to him and I believe in him and I, I accept your righteousness as in my heart, planted in my heart, who I am and how I live is made possible by starting with faith in Christ. So I'm going to assume I'm preaching to the choir from the standpoint that most of us here have already put our faith in Christ. And there is a debate in Christianity. There is one camp that says, nope, it is not about doing. You cannot do anything. It's just about believing and trusting, and that's your righteousness. Boom. There is another camp that says it's all about doing, and you got to do right and be right and do right and be right, and, and it's all these to do and not to do's. And the reality is it's both together. It's one first and then the other. Because satisfaction of righteousness. Satisfaction requires action. So if indeed righteousness has been planted in my heart, you're going to be able to see it. This is going to grow to where, this was, this was in the ground somewhere in the woods near my parents' home and nobody saw it and then it started to grow and a little green sprout came up and it got bigger and bigger and, it, and sooner or later it got to where a 12-year-old Stan noticed it and the same is true with us as righteousness grows fruitfully within us, it becomes noticeable. James chapter 2 is a great place to look at that. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Okay, we just read that. Paul made the, Paul's making the argument about Abraham that righteousness is with faith. And then he says he was called the friend of God. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. Okay, wait a minute. I thought you just said that Abraham was justified by faith and now you're saying he had to have works. No, it just says he just believed. Well, he believed, yes. When God appeared to him in his father's household, in his father's country, his father was very wealthy and he says, Abraham, you enjoy all this good stuff, you know, all the family wealth? Yeah, well, I want you to leave it. I want you to follow me to a land that I'm promising. I'm going to give you three promises. Remember those three promises? Do I have to re-preach last summer's series all over again, like right now? Three promises. What were they? To Abraham. Land. What else? You become a great nation. And through your descendants, all the earth will be blessed. Thank you, Holly. Three promises. Go back and re-watch last summer's series through the Bible. It's in there. All right. So he made that promise. Do you know what Abram had to do to leave his father's territory and go to what would become Israel? He had to pack up all of his, all of his household, his servants, all of his flocks, all of his herds, all of his possessions, and there was no U-Haul to call. Okay, so you got this big whatever entourage in this huge caravan traveling all the way to what would become Israel as God promised them that land and that they'd become a great nation. He had faith. He said yes to the righteousness of God, to this righteous God, and then God says, okay, now that you have that and you've accepted that righteousness by faith, faith, here's something I want you to do. You need to follow me. 
There's a lot of do words about righteousness that would say it's not just faith and believing. That faith and believing turns into then what do I do in response to that? Proverbs 21.3, to do righteousness and justice is desired by the Lord more than sacrifice. All scripture is inspired by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. So the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. I don't know how to do righteousness. Read about it. Read the Gospels. Watch what Jesus did and then imitate him. Read some of the, the, the letters, the epistles. I'll talk about that a little bit later. First John, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone also who practices righteousness is born of him, practices it. And then in Hebrews, it cites Noah. Noah prepared an ark. That's a pretty big job to do. And he became an heir of righteousness according to faith. So his faith motivated him to say yes to do it. If he had the faith, why in the world would you make this huge ship? Didn't, didn't know what a ship was before that. Well, likewise, I'm challenging you to live righteousness. You gotta have the faith to say yes to it because nobody else is doing it. It doesn't come natural. Why would I do that when everybody else is doing this? Well, because you have the faith in a God who is righteous and he calls you to that. And just like Noah said yes to living a righteous life, so you can. And, it's, and in, later in Hebrews, what should we say of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, all the prophets who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut lions' mouths. Faith mobilizes itself. If, if I have, and righteousness does, if I have righteousness in here, righteousness acts out. How many of you know a nasty person and they can't help but act out and they're nasty when they act out? Selfish people act out their selfishness. Sarcastic people act out their sarcasm. Pessimistic people act out their pessimism. And righteous people can't help but act out their righteousness. Can't possibly... We should be convicted, be able to be convicted in the court of law. Someone should be able to testify against us that we have righteousness planted within us without us saying a word. They can say, well, I saw her do this, and I saw her do this, I saw, him do, I saw he does this, how he treats people, how she does this. I, I, righteousness, 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 it acts out. First John 3, little children, make sure that no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous as he is. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. So let's go a little further into just the relational aspect of righteousness. This is, is righteousness with skin on, if you will. And he says in Ephesians 4.20, that's not in the, the only verse is not in the notes, Ephesians 4. In reference to your former manner of life, you laid aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with lust of deceit. But you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. We'll talk about that next week with our series on mental and emotional well-being, sound mind. Put on the new self, say new self, which is in the likeness of God. So it's like God and has been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. So as 
as I say yes in faith, he plants his righteousness in us. And because of my relationship with God, I become more and more like God on the inside and then it starts to show on the outside. He says, therefore, here's the behaviors with people. Lay aside falsehood. Speak truth to each other. Be angry and don't sin. Steal no longer. Share with the one who's in need. Let there be no unwholesome word come out of your mouth. Speak words of edification. Give grace to those who hear. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. This is how you expect an inwardly righteous person to act toward others. It acts out. And my prayer has been that Christian Life Center it would be said of us that we would unanimously acquire a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. It would be displayed in an authentic love and heart for God and our relationship with Him that is just so desirable. And outwardly, it would be shown in our big faith, big honoring, righteous behavior in our lives toward our world and toward each other. But unfortunately, most people, lots of people aren't like that. When it comes to hungering and thirsting for righteousness, what instead we do, and for the sake of illustration, we're going to say that everything up here on the stage represents like righteousness and goodness. Everything off the stage is sin and fallenness. Happens to be where you're, where you're sitting, but take no offense. So, no. That was a joke. Wake up. All right, so far too many Christians say, I wonder how close I could get. You know, like, can I? That's pretty good. I wonder, I wonder how, like, I'm still okay. I wonder how, how far could I go? I, I'm still, I'm, I'm not in it. I'm, you know, well, and Jesus hung around with, you know, yeah, right, I, probably different. Something tells me that if I'm really hungry and thirsting for righteousness, this, in a spiritual way, is kind of like on a Daniel fast, going to Kentucky Fried Chicken, buying a bag of chicken, just sitting in my car going, oh, oh, I'm not eating it. How many of us are, are doing that with our sinful chicken in life? What, wouldn't someone who has acquired a taste for hunger, hunger and thirst for righteousness, say, man, I want whatever it is I want it and that I don't want. I want a relationship with the one who is righteous and I want that rubbing off in my life. I am so hungry for that. I have such a thirst and a desire for that. That's what I want. Righteousness. The starting definition is the manifest goodness of who you would expect a perfectly holy and just and powerful and loving God to be and what he would display. And our righteousness is passionate, being passionate about pursuing a relationship with that God. I want to know Him. And living in a way that the influence of this incredible God changes me on the inside. If it doesn't change me on the inside, it's just legalism. It changes me on the inside and it can be seen in my behavior. So people can say, yep, He's somewhere between an acorn and an oak of righteousness. Must love God. Must be on the journey. When that becomes true of me, of you, of all of us, 
There is a satisfaction Jesus talked about that goes soul deep. And you want more of God, and the more you have of God, and the more He works through you, and He empowers you to live righteously through His Holy Spirit. It is just, it's a satisfaction that, that desires more. And when that happens, I will, you will, we will really have an authentic, meaningful knowing of God. And when you know Him like that, that righteous God who is and acts righteously, that likewise happens in and through me, and I will be His righteous person, and I can't help but love other people. As John says, I value others. And when we know God like that, and we are His people, and we value others, we will change our world one person at a time with the righteousness that they desperately need. And so we want to close this message in this service with just a, a time that I'll project on you. I, I have been convicted that I need more of during this fast. I, I live a fairly full life, lots going on, uh, fairly full calendar. And when I'm not sitting in a meeting, I have a meeting going on in my head. When I'm not preaching, I have a sermon that's due in six days. And so there's a lot, lot going on up here. And, and I've been challenged just to spend more time quiet, reflecting, being still, and knowing who's God and who's not. So we're going to close with communion. And if you didn't receive an element on your way in, if you raise your hand, our, our team has got them. Just raise your hand if you didn't get these. There's some back here. Just wave it at them and they'll, they'll get that to you. Because Paul gives instruction about the Lord's Supper. And he said, I received from the Lord that which I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. When he given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In a moment, not yet, we'll take the bread together, remembering that Jesus allowed himself to be broken for me and for you, that we could experience wholeness. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The cup speaks to us of forgiveness and healing. If you need either one of these, ask him for it. But then two verses later, he says, let a person examine themselves, and so let them eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So let's just take two minutes for self-examination. I find it helpful to bow my head and ask the Holy Spirit, search me, show me, and let him speak to you about righteousness that needs to be hungered and thirsted for more. About forgiveness that needs to be sought and received, healing he wants to do. Let's just quiet ourselves and just take about two minutes and let the Lord speak to you. Lord Jesus, as we hold this bread, 
He reminds us of you. You told us to do this so we wouldn't forget the price you paid for us that we could be made whole. As we're reminded through Celebrate Recovery that in our brokenness, you come to us and the invitation is, would you like righteousness? It's restoring, it's healing, it's peace, it's direction, it's satisfying, soul deep. So we thank you for what you do in us and through us what you offer to us. And we we take this bread in memory and honor and gratitude to you. Let's take the bread together. Likewise, Lord, you shed your blood. The Bible makes it clear, clear to us that the cup speaks to us about forgiveness and healing. We pray for healing. Each broken body, each wounded heart, each torn up life. And likewise, we pray, Lord, for forgiveness for sins that we've done, for unforgiveness that we would harbor, and that you would cleanse us white as snow, as the Bible says, and make us not only forgiven, but make us forgivers. And so we take this cup in memory of you, in your name. Let's take the cup. Amen.